Welcome back to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. You guys have been absolutely incredible, pouring in the listens as well as the reviews. Remember, we only have three episodes left for a chance to win a Stealth 2.0 plate carrier, so make sure you leave us a review so you can automatically be entered into a chance to win that. Now, today, we have a real treat for you. Sean of Ready and Able Defense comes on the show. This guy is just absolutely loaded with information, incredibly smart, puts in the time and effort on the range to really diagnose problems for students as well as his own, and the guy has a deep understanding of firearms proficiency as well as CQB tactics. If you ever get the opportunity to train with Sean, I can assure you this guy knows what he's talking about, and it will do you nothing but good from taking his classes. Now, Sean, at Instagram, Ready and Able Defense, as well as ReadyAndAbleDefense.com are his plugs. This guy is a full-time police officer SWAT operator, so he does the job. He knows what the heck he's talking about, and that's going to be very evident from you listening to this episode so without further ado, guys, let's get into episode seven of the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. Welcome to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show, a podcast for protectors by protectors. Remember, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So join us to stay ready for the fight ahead. Ken David, we have barricaded suspects with hostages at St. Demetrius Church. This is the police. Come out with your hands up. Do it now. We have suspect movement. Entry team is in. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were SWAT. Aren't we supposed to just sit here and wait? Bang out! The Sit, Wait, and Talk podcast is powered by Force Frontier. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. Incredibly excited for this episode because I have... Sean from Ready and Able Defense, he's been on our list of um, guests that we want to have on this show. He has a real knowledge for not only CQB stuff, but as far as the flat range stuff, it's hard to find good quality instructors that really dive deep into what makes an effective shooter. That's something that it's very plain to see from his videos on Instagram that he really puts a lot of time and dedication into this craft. And I was so happy that he's able to come on today and I can pick his brain on his approach uh, as far as uh, the rifle and pistol go. Now, <clears throat> a quick thing. We just hit the mark where we're able to monetize this show. This is meant to be a free show for you all. But if you do feel like leaving a donation, you simply hit the link on our Spotify about page and you can help support the channel all of the proceeds go back into the show so we can upgrade the equipment do a video version of this podcast for you guys as well as have more entertaining guests on sean thanks so much for joining us today man i know you you have a busy schedule you work full-time and run a company but you made time out of your day to come on really appreciate you no i appreciate you having me on man i'm excited for this this is actually going to be my first uh podcast type of thing that I'm part of. So it's exciting. Well, you're, I'm assuming you're a lot like me. You don't do a lot of public stuff. You just kind of post some things on Instagram and everything. And, you know, you like to keep a lot of the stuff private. Um, you know, I didn't even have Instagram, Facebook. I had Snapchat, I think was like about the only thing I used before I started this business. So for me, it was a, it was a learning curve. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as your first time on, I think it's going to go well because you have a very analytical approach to um, you know what you're passionate about, and I can't wait to jump into that. But before we do, give us a little bit about uh, your background as far as um, you know what you're doing, you know the qualifications that you have, and, and why you're so passionate about um, training. So from the law enforcement side, I've got over eight years on the job. I've been the majority of my career so far has been on the team, been on the team, uh, come up six years. Uh, part of the team or part of a full-time team down here and part of that for the extra responsibilities I have there uh, assistant training coordinator as well as a member of our sniper team as well which it's not like there's some teams I come across where like you do the sniper thing that's all you do it's just kind of an extra responsibility that we have on our side of the house so I get a bunch of different trainings different responsibilities we're on a, a fairly busy team uh, down in my side of Florida so you know, I get a bunch of different outlooks on things. And, you know, also with the travel to the company side, I get to see how other teams do, you know, with our work with other teams down here, I get to see what they do. So it's, it's been very fortunate to be where I'm at now. That's awesome, man. And as far as, um, do you have any military experience prior to that? No, only law enforcement. Um, that's, uh, I went, probably got into law enforcement around 22 years old. And then pretty much I worked a bunch of jobs. I've been working since I was like, shoot. 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. 
and this was like my first career everything was kind of like leading up to this and uh you know this is where the lord had me and i'm happy to be in this career i won't, I won't change anything man i tell people all the time uh, especially as the company starts getting busier listen i could wake up tomorrow and have two billion dollars in my bank account i'd still do exactly what i do today so yeah i really enjoy it oh, i love it man we're, we're kind of in a similar boat there you know it was like for me um you know similar as far as getting into law enforcement and it was my first big thing right now i had a lot of small jobs Got into law enforcement, um, been in it about a little over eight years now as well. So it sounds like we're kind of in the same boat there. Um, and awesome that you're doing, you know, so much with that that time spent on, quality time spent on, obviously. You know, if you're going to take some some courses from people that are in the tactical space, um, quality of work and, you know, actually getting that experience goes a long way. So it's awesome. You're, you're, you're sharing the wealth. And I think there's plenty of room at the table. I had this conversation with Aaron Gennetti on one of our episodes that, you know, there's so many cool people out there and that's why we're doing this podcast because I love the clickbaity, you know, exciting videos that we put out, but ultimately what I really enjoy is teaching and, you know, having folks like you on to where we can, you know, transfer some knowledge and it actually, you know, get somewhere with it. And I love that. Um, I love that you're doing that. Now, talk about your company, Ready and Able Defense. You know, what is the mission? What classes do you offer? And what kind of students are you attracting? So offer both training to just your law, every, you know, everyday law abiding citizen, all the way to police departments. Um, man, it's funny enough that the company started, I've had the company since 2013, right? And before uh, law enforcement, all this, I competed in MMA. Uh, never anything crazy, just at the amateur level. And, you know, I started the company just to teach striking, some self-defense based stuff, you know, for, from what I knew from the MMA side of the house as a, as a younger adult. And at one point in time, I remember, like, I wasn't doing anything with the company. And I considered maybe just letting it lapse and kind of just, eh, I'm not really doing anything. I'm not going to keep it going. Uh, early into my law enforcement career, probably within my first year or so. And I remember you know, just kind of hanging on to it. I know, like I said, you've had Ruben here and, and he was really pushing me to, no, man, you should stick with it, start investing a little bit more time behind it. And, you know, that was a big help to kind of motivate me to pursue it a little bit more into, you know, what the Lord has allowed it to be, man. It's, it's definitely God's blessed the company tremendously. And uh, it's, you know, night and day from where it was four years ago, you know, trying to get one student. I remember my first class that I put on the site I want to say I had one student and I was like, I'm going to just run this class. And, you know, and it was a buddy of mine too. So it wasn't like a random person signed up. I think I had one, one student. I told another buddy to tag along, went to the range and did the class. Um, but now a lot of it is proficiency based firearms training for everybody, right? That's from the, you know, law abiding citizen all the way to the police officer. And then I offer like from the tactical side, if you call it, I offer, uh, building tactics, uh, close quarter clearance type training for patrol, for law enforcement, and different stuff like that. We also do some night vision stuff, uh, where it's more of a drill-based uh, thing or approach as of now. And, and eventually, when I'm ready, I'd like to push out like a more structured, dedicated night vision class. But that's that's really where we're at as far as classes go. Proficiency, the I guess you'd call it the non-sexy stuff. Like everybody wants the, oh, I want the advanced shooting. And I'm like, what is advanced shooting, man? It's just Really, I mean, and I take this back from the competitive side back in MMA. It's you, you had the the top level, you know, professional fighters, and they were just guys that were really good at doing the basics. You know, you even look at it from the jiu-jitsu standpoint, you know, everybody has that guy in the gym that's like, this is his move, and no matter what, like, he's going to get you in that move, and you're like, man, I wish I could just stop. And you know what's coming is the worst part, um, and that's like the black belts, the higher-level black belts in the gym. And firearms and everything else is the same, you know, being really good at those fundamentals, at those basics to where it becomes that automated response for your ability to apply it in the real world. And I think everybody wants to jump ahead of themselves and do all this cool, fun looking shooting Instagram stuff. And there's no real transferable skill that they're gaining. It's just fun. You know, that's about it. Dude, hit the nail on the head. I love it. I knew I'd have fun with you on the show, and I know we'd hit see eye to eye on a lot of different things. Um, like I said, I was hearing some things from Ruben. It sounds like you got your head on your shoulders, and obviously, just from that statement alone, I know you know what you're talking about because that is such a a true statement. As far as you know, the the the, and it, I think it really is. Uh, the last five years, you're seeing just a growth of the Instagram TikTok stuff where everybody wants to do the cool thing. 
but guys that are doing it, um, you know, for their day job, like you are, you're, you're understanding that for me to be as safe as possible, for me to be an asset to my team, I have to be a master of the basics. That is what a master is. You know, that's somebody who has a proficiency, let's say for, for firearms. Um, that is something that you've, you've just done the basics over and over and over again to where it's repeatable, it's consistent. And now I can say I, I am much more capable than I was day one, obviously. And if you can then transfer those skills to students, then I think you have a very deep understanding of, of the, of the uh, fundamentals. That's really what it is. I think that gets lost on a lot of people. Um, I was talking to, and I brought up Aaron Gennetti earlier in this, in this episode, but he was one that was just like, you know, what are your aha moments from this class? And for me, an aha moment is just simply something that's very basic and obvious, but you didn't see it before. And it took somebody mm-hmm. like like Aaron, in my case, to show me that aha moment and be like, oh, that's so simple. Oh, I didn't realize how easy that was. Uh, we have that in some of our classes, especially with our pistol classes, because a lot of people carry pistols. Um, and I think, you know, when we start showing different grips and different ways that you can control the the recoil of the gun, that that tends to be the most common aha moment that we have in our classes. So it's 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 great to see that you you have a similar approach. And I'm not surprised because I think it takes that experience, it takes that not only experience on the job, but it, you know, also experience um, dry firing and putting in the reps and the time to really understand this is what's important. Um and, and sometimes you don't realize it until later in life, and that's the unfortunate thing. Or it takes somebody, it takes like a, a mentor to really, you know, mold somebody and, and to kind of take that approach. Because when we're young and we're invincible and we're cops, you know, combine all of those type A personalities, like it's really hard to see that sometimes. Um, and it takes it takes some time to really develop that. Did you have anybody that, um, that stands out? I know Ruben was kind of pushing you to do the business, but is there anybody that stands out? And you don't have to mention their names, but that kind of took you under their wing and, and showed you some of this stuff? Um, as far as taking me under the wing, it, not so much like showing me specifically teaching things. It was just, again, I, I said, I know Ruben kind of was like, Hey, you should continue doing something with this teaching thing. But then just going out there and seeing how other people teach, going and being a student, taking classes, seeing uh, other ways of delivering information, um, really that was it and like you know being able to go out and be a student i think is the biggest thing you get a lot of instructors that aren't willing to go and be a student still and a lot of times i'll be honest with you i go to classes and i don't learn a new technique i mean listen you're not going to recreate recreate the wheel when it comes to shooting man uh, shooting's been along around for a long time i think really where you see the difference is the the delivery of the methods the delivery of instruction the structure of classes you know there's this big confusion of like the only like somebody that was really good at something must also be really good at teaching it. And that's not the case. Like I've, I've taken classes from shooting instructors that, you know, if we're, if we're doing a competition style thing, like I can probably, you know, give them a run for their money. Um, but just the way to deliver information is just awesome. Right. I, I take little, little instructor notes or, Hey man, I really like how this guy to this day, uh, there's a drill that I started adopting. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, Chris, I'm going to butcher his company name, Tactical Human Performance, I think. Um, I took a class of his, you know, and I got this little trigger uh, control drill that I was like, oh, man, I really like that. I've I've been, like, taking it, and, you know, I give him credit, obviously, for it. But I was like, oh, it was such a cool drill that I picked up that I had never – I had explained it that way, but never put it in a drill that, like, showed students that way. But just the fact of still being a student, man, you know, and and learning from other guys. I learned from – guys at work. I learned from watching Ruben. I learned from going and being a student somewhere. Um, but I think it was really just a kind of a kick in the butt that I needed of like, Hey, focus on doing this, right? If you're going to do it, focus on doing it. And and that was really what I needed, I think, to kind of, okay, well, I'm going to invest. I, like I said before, I was, I was never investing time, man. Um, I wasn't investing time into putting out good content. I wasn't investing time into taking classes and, and pushing, um, you know, driving more, uh, for that, like I said, for me, uh, obviously, if you if you're on my page for any any, honestly, if you check my stories every day, I put a Bible verse out there, so it's no surprise. But for me, you know, Lord has blessed my company so much, man. That's the real driving force for what I do. Um, you know, that's that's my belief. That's you know, Lord Jesus has really just blessed my company and tremendously 
uh, put people in my life to help open doors and, and also taking people out of my life to close others. So as far as the success of my company, that's where that lies. But, you know, he certainly, God has certainly put a lot of people in my life to help push me um, or show me different things. Like I said, I've already mentioned a couple of those people. And obviously my, my wife has always been a very supporting person of the company. And, and certainly at the time I was having a, a conversation with somebody the other day and uh, they asked me if she, <laughs> How is she with, you know, how busy we get? Because like I said, a full-time team, man, we're, we're a busy team. We're, we're working all the time. I'm teaching, you know, I, I think I've been on the range the past four or five days um, before coming into work or like today before church. And which is a blessing, but it takes away obviously time from home. And I, and I was like, man, she's, uh has a lot more patience than I deserve. That's for sure. To allow me to do these things and to, you know, put in the, the grinding work. Uh, that I'm trying to put in, you know, ahead of time before some other stuff. But if that answers the question, I think a bit wordier way of answering that question. No, I love it, man. I love it. I mean, I think, it, you know, having humility it, 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 as an instructor is incredibly important because there's, you said you take, you've taken a ton of classes. You're required to for your job, but you're also taking it upon yourself to take other classes and take certain things from some classes and then others, you know, maybe it's learning what not to do as, as an instructor and transferring information. But I think, you know, you, you have to have that exposure in order to do that. And you have to have that dedication in order to do that. And I know for me, I took over a defensive tactics program for my police department when I was very young in, in my career. And I'm having to teach guys that have been doing the job a long time. And for me, I, I can have an ego about me, of course, I think anybody in our job can, but I, I had to put everything aside, no matter how many times people challenge me, no matter how many times, you know, I got, you know, some pushback, I said, I'm going to put that aside, I'm going to show you why this works, and why it's effective. And I'm gonna try to cater to you as much as possible. Because I have to teach the 25 year vet versus the two year mm-hmm. vet very differently. And I think you have to learn teaching fundamentals and coaching fundamentals, just as much as you have to learn the actual skills necessary, if you're going to stand in front of a room. And that was something I had to learn very early on. And I think for the most part, I, I won, I won my guys over, you know, I try to, I try to have a completely different, almost like completely different personality when I'm in there, very humble, very appreciative of people being there. And then that obviously transfers to our business because the fact is they're working overtime. They're tired. We got to be understanding of that. I'm not anyone to bark orders and, and, and boss people around, but also the ability to transfer the information, not just understand the skills, I think is incredibly important. You hit that, hit that on the head. Um, but th- there was a lot to unpack there. I mean, obviously being appreciative of your wife, probably putting up with more than she needs to much like mine. And I tell her all the time, you, I don't know how you put up with me. I'll even have, uh, you know, colleagues and, and guys saying, I don't know how your wife puts up with you, you know, just with the amount of work we're putting in and, you know, running a business, you know, working full time, it, it is not easy. And you have to have that strong, um, you know, that structure at home in order to be able to do that. So, that, that's awesome. You have it. And I'm glad you're, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're humble. And it's obvious that, you know, you have a, a dedication to it, you know, going to the range and putting in the time to really understand it is cool. But what I'm trying to, I think what I'm getting from you and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you have these people in your life, you have these, you know, these, uh, you know, teammates of yours, you're learning, you're going to classes. But to me, it really seems like you're going to the range, for instance, and you're, and you're figuring it out. So when you have a problem, like, um, how do I get my reload on my rifle down? How do I get, um, you know, a faster draw f- from the holster? Is that stuff that you're really just, you have that attention to detail and you are really, you know, diving deep into the understanding of how to do it as efficiently as possible? Yeah. So I'll, I'm going to answer that and then I'm going to come back to something you said. Um, so don't let me forget that. Uh, so yeah, as far as the shooting thing, man, so I spent a lot of time, on the range, but I think one of the bigger changes is like when you when you spend time understanding how a person learns, uh, when you when you spend time understanding like the whole picture and not just getting so like focused into this one box, like the, just the range stuff, right? Because so many other things go into the range stuff from you know just the mechanics of how you move, right? Um, I'll go to classes, I'll listen to instructors. Um, I, am going to be honest with you. I, I'm not going to pinpoint one particular instructor that gave me that aha moment. I think a lot of it is just time spent learning through 
all those little mistakes and things that I've spent time on, be it, you know, maybe I, maybe an instructor did tell me one thing here or there and it clicked and I, and I didn't necessarily remember the instructor told me, but I remember like, okay, I, I then started shifting my time or shifting this. Um, but I spent a lot of time shooting, um, like becoming a cop early on, uh, a little bit before cop becoming a cop. And then I learned a lot of things that weren't great. You know, I went the whole traditional NRA, uh, basic pistol route instructor and doing all that stuff. And, and I thought I was like, dude, I was your stereotypical, super motivated dude with a red shirt and an NRA basic pistol shirt. And I'm like, I'm the freaking man. Right. Um, and then I just spent more time practicing and going to the range and practicing, going to the range and practicing, going to the range. And if I looked at how I shot, uh, 10 years ago, it, I'd probably look at myself now and I'd be like, man, that, you know, I guess back then I felt like I was good. And, you know, I look at all the little things. I just, you don't know what you don't know. You pick up little things here, here and there from, you know, I went to, God, I remember going to work, sent me to tactical performance center, TPC out in Arizona. And I took a class out there and I remember, dude, we spent like, like three hours just working grip. And I think I shot so much in one day there that my hands were just all torn up and we just shot so much. And, you know, as I, as I looked at other instructors, I remember going out and take a private with this one instructor, my buddy brought me out to, um, you know, big, a big firearms dude. And there was almost minimal instruction. It was just run that drill. Okay. Run it again. Okay. Run it again. Okay. Go a little faster. And one of the things that I started learning is sometimes as a student, you need, you need to just learn on your own in the sense, like I give you the understanding, I give you the basics. Like I said, the fundamentals haven't changed, man. Grip hasn't changed. Sights haven't changed. Like obviously irons to optics, stuff like that. Trigger hasn't like, these things have been around for a long time and, and you hear them regurgitated from class to class to class. And I think it's important for the student to understand um, how to work and learn through some of these problems. And like, I went to a force science class not long, not long ago. And it was honestly, it was a phenomenal class. I've been like using stuff from it ever since. Um, but one of the things uh, that they brought up is just different ways that people learn. And I remember teaching one of my students, uh, a guy comes, comes to me for uh, private lessons pretty often. And one day he just tells me, he's like, Hey man, I, this finally clicked. And I'm like, cool, man. Like, that's great. I've been telling you that for like the past few months. I'm glad it clicked. And he told me that he was just doing dry fire one day and it just made sense. And I was like, that's how it should be, right? You invest the time and being a defensive taxi instructor, you know, doing that stuff, doing jujitsu and everything. I remember when I started jujitsu and I remember I could do an arm bar. I could, I could do it. Like you show me how to do it. Or I did it. And then I did a little more. And the second we started rolling, it's like, I forgot how to do an arm bar. I was like, why can't I do this? It doesn't make sense. And eventually I just remember, I don't remember the day, I don't remember the time. I just remember it just clicked. I was rolling. And I was like, oh, there it is. And boom, you get it, right? And I think with the shooting thing, a lot of people don't ever really want to put in the, and invest the time, the dry fire, the practice, the training to have some of these little details click. And they just kind of always stay at that same level. Like I said, you go to a bunch of different classes. I go to five different shooting basic pistol classes. I, I encourage instructors too, like, hey, man, go to a basic pistol class. Like go take a pistol fundamentals class summer, go take this class. I'm taking the Manzano class. I think it's this coming Saturday, Sunday. Um, and I'm sure I'll find another shooting class to go through before the year ends. Just to, if anything, just to see what's possible. Right. I remember going to a class and this dude was just such a good shooter one time. And I was like, I didn't take anything technical from the class. I didn't go there and learn anything, but I went there and I saw what's possible. I was like, this dude shoots 25 yard drills. Like I shoot them at seven yards. I was like, that's ridiculous. Um, I need to train more. Right. And then learning how to dry fire more, learning how to, you know, spend more time in different parts of my game. Really, I think the biggest thing people don't do is just invest the actual time to get better, you know, because I can show you this is what you need to do. Here are all the answers. Um, and then they leave the class and they never touch the gun again until the next class. And they're never going to get better. Right. Or we talk about transferable skills. Uh, they'll, they can do it on a flat range. They can do it in a qual. They can do it when you ask them to do it. And the second you ask them to do it in force on force or it happens organically, it just all goes out the window. The classic one that I saw time and time again is you fix a double feed. There's two ways you're, you're running through a double feed, right? I, I, on my pistol, I could lock the slide of the rear, remove the slot, remove the mag, rack the slide, reinsert the mag, rack the slide again, run the gun again. Or I can just strip the mag if I can, rack the slide to clear it out, reinsert the mag, rack the slide and run the gun again. There's really like two ways you're going to work through that problem. And most cops that I've come across can work their way through that problem on the range. The majority of cops I've come across, say the majority, 
a large number of cops that I've come across when we go to force and force drills and they get a double feed from the Sims, they tap rack, tap rack, tap rack, tap rack, tap rack. It doesn't work. Tap rack again. And I'm looking at them like, what are you doing, bro? Like, it's not going to fix it. You've done this 16 times and nothing has happened and your gun's still not back in fight. But they never built a type of, they never put the time in to build a skill that would transfer over to real application. They could do it somewhat on the range with no stress, but they never invested that time to make that something they're able to just do, right? That automated response to whatever the problem is or the gun part of that problem is just so under-trained or trained in the wrong way, right? Because again, fundamentals haven't changed. When it comes to firearms, obviously that changes in other things, right? Um, or you can even, again, we'll go back to jujitsu. You can look at like an armbar, been around forever. But the way in which the instructor structures that training to teach the student could be the factor of whether they're able to apply it in a competition or not. Right. So how you deliver and structure the information as the instructor is really going to make the difference too. on like, especially if you're with an agency, it's hard, like with a company, because hey, a student come to you one time and you and I both know that if they come and they just do that class, and they're not, not going to do anything like since then, probably not going to retain a lot of that information. Right. But when you're teaching an agency and you have the manpower to teach them often, right, you can really have a good effect of like how you're structuring this type of training to where those skills transfer out into the real world or they do it in a way that uh, helps set them up for success versus like, all right, we're going to go to the range and run this next drill. Yeah, that definitely. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, I, it's something that, you know, for us when we're doing, uh, you know, defensive tactics, at, at, you know, in, in, in the department, it's, it's structured so much differently than a seminar would be. Um, you know, one of our trainings, you have to structure it differently. And I, and we try to do our best with, let's say a pistol class, um, you know, we try to do our best to give homework so that students can leave the class. And then if you want to continue, uh, you know, the, this, uh, you know, this course and continue to get better, you're going to have to put in the time dry firing. And, and you touched on dry firing. And that was one thing that I never really did before. You know, when I was in college, I, I did an internship at a shooting range that ultimately led to a job. And then I went to the police academy and, and then, um, went from there. But while I was at the range, I would shoot probably minimum once a week, but most of the time twice a week. And I would shoot competitively. I would just get out there on the range and just run drills. And I was very proficient. And then there was a significant drop off from there when I became a police officer because I wasn't dedicating the same time and energy into that. And I noticed that until I ultimately ended up on SWAT. And then I'm having to raise my my skills again. Um, but it wasn't until SWAT that I really started even dry firing. Um, you know, I would draw, I would do all those good things. I would make sure my draw was clean, but I'll be honest. I didn't really understand what you could accomplish just dry firing. It could be, you know, purchasing a cert pistol. It could be, um, running a mantis in, in your rifle, but it can also just simply be working the movements of your rifle, drawing up, pulling the trigger, working that safety. And I, I didn't really see the value in that until, um, quite a bit later after I was at the, at the range. So as far as dry fire goes, what does that look like for you in an average, let's say day or week? Hmm. Uh, depends. So there are definitely, I will use now as a good time where I go through seasons of my life where, you know, I get busier than I normally am. And then I don't, I want to equate it to two things. Like part of it being a little bit of laziness cause I can absolutely find the time. Um, and then other times just being like, Hey man, I can, I, you know, I went, woke up at five 30 to go teach a lesson before work. Then I go into work all day and I get home by eight 30 and, you know, I can spend some time with my wife or I can do some training. Right. So right now I'd say I'm in a, in a season where I, I I'm not dry firing as, as much as I'd like to, when I'm on top of it, you know, I try and I would try and spend, you know, 15 minutes a day or something, you know, just finding something or, incorporating it during my workout before or after, uh, you know, just again, finding five minutes to get some manipulation, some work. And I will tell you, and for anybody that ends up listening that uh, asks about dry fire, when I would dry fire, I would say even just two weeks, like I would just do two weeks of like heavy dry firing, you know, be it 30 minutes a day, 
you know, even if you did 30, 30 minutes every other day, I saw such a massive improvement in my live fire. And it doesn't, unless you're tracking your live fire, you're never going to know. And I'll tell you why you're not going to know, because I felt like I was going slower. I would run a drill and I'm like, there's no way um, I'm in the time for this drill, right? So I have a couple of drills that if anybody on the page has probably seen me do a bunch of times and they're not drills I practice. So I, like, I don't go and drill, you know, whatever my, my advanced standard. I don't go to the ranges to practice that, right? I, every now and again, I'll do it to see kind of where I'm at. Um, but the, the drill is, you know, five yards of B8. It's five rounds, emergency reload, five rounds. And the part time is five seconds or less clean. So line breaks or miss. And um, I remember dry firing for a pretty cons like consistent amount of time, let's say within a two week period. And then I went back to the range and I was like, let me, let me see where I'm at. And I remember just, I'm going to try this drill. Again, I don't practice them often. And I'm, I did it and I was like, that's clean. But man, that was definitely too slow. And I looked down and the time was like four, three or something or like four, two. It was, it was something pretty, pretty fast. And I was like that I felt like I was going slow, but I felt like I was going slow because a, uh, all the movements were clean. Um, I was shooting sooner because of how clean the movements were. And if you're relying on feeling alone, it's going to feel like you're going slower. Like you're not going to feel like you're going faster because you're not rushing. You're not in a rush. You're not in a hurry. And there's not that urgency like, oh, you're, you know, getting, you know, getting hung up in the holster or throwing rounds. Uh, so the first part would be make sure you're tracking times, right? Make sure I have a, an understanding of my basics. And it could just be like, I know what my first round from the holster at this specific target is. So when I do a string of fire, I could always look at the shot timer and see what that first round is. So like if I know my first round from the A zone should be a sub one, anything over something in that process didn't work out the way it should have been. Either I presented too hard and I, and I lost my dot initially, I got hung up on the holster or quite honestly, what it is for me more often than not is I slack on my dry fire. I slack on my individual training because my schedule gets a bit busy and I get a bit lazy and I, you know, I see it on the range and I'm like, Oh, well, you know, that's nowhere near where I should be. So maybe I should start dry firing a little bit more, but I would generally try and, and I would just usually do a mantis and a dry fire mag and I can throw those in a backpack. And anytime I go to the, you know, to the agency gym or my backyard, I could just, you know, knock out some dry fire in between reps, you know, or, or something along those lines. But it, if you make it easy for you to do, it's more likely that you'll do it more. Sean, I'm going to give you some advice. If you're running an Instagram page, it's important that you just lie to your listeners and say, I wake up at 4.30, <laughs> I dry fire for an hour, I then get a lift in, and then I do another million things that ordinary humans like you and I don't have time for. And then, yeah, you just, you just spread that knowledge to folks. You don't, you don't, don't give honest answers. Come on, man. Amateur hour. That's, that's, that's like in cop 101, dude. If it, if it makes sense, then if that's it, just silly. if it makes sense, then it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, that's the realistic answer. And that's really all that's required for you to improve. I can talk to that too, because, you know, we, we were doing this x-ray alpha drill and it was, I, I don't remember the drill. I know what you have to do, but I don't remember what it's called. It's a triangle and then a square underneath it. You're supposed to shoot two rounds with your rifle in the triangle, and then you transition to your pistol three rounds in the square. I struggled with that exercise, and I was, as competitive as I am, I was disappointed. And then I dry fired for a month, and I was very consistent about it, and then easily hit the time without shooting a single round from one training to the next. And I was like, okay, that's where I started buying into this, to into dry firing and getting that um, really honed in. I think for your draw, your presentation, as long as you're taking yourself accountable or holding yourself accountable and you're actually, like you said, documenting your times, but also understanding the movements. I know for us, we, we really like to either break down the movements. So let's see how quickly I can get from my hand center of my chest to my hand on the gun. Let's see how fast I can go from hand on the gun to gun out of the holster and on target. And you can do these kind of break these up to really fine tune these skills. Or you can also do, you know, what we call like matrix drills. You just slow everything down, really understand every single movement that you're, you're putting into the draw and then presenting up. And ultimately, you're going to improve your first round breaking off if, if you're working on those skills, um, at least if, you're, if, it's, if it's being 
instructed correctly and you're understanding what you're trying to accomplish because that's one of the most common things that we see for from our students. Um, you know, if we're if we're shooting rapid shots, it might be the cadence. Um, if we're shooting multiple rounds, sometimes the cadence is really good, but the first round is taking forever. We're overconfirming that sight picture when we're shooting the target. Um, and then it's obviously a number of different things as well, but commonly the cadence and that first shot taking forever is is uh, what we see in a lot of our pistol classes. And I think that stuff can be fixed, no problem, just at home. And it's just important for listeners to understand that and, and the power of it. Take the time necessary, but listen, we have we have normal lives. We have to work. We got to take care of kids. We got to run to the grocery store. We got to do a million different errands. But I have my belt down here, uh, out of picture from, from Sean, but I have my belt down here because having him on the show today, I'm like, you know what? I haven't dry fired in a while. I'm going to try to get some reps in. I'm off all day. I have no excuses. Kids are sleeping, so let's, let's get some stuff done. Um, and, and it's important for our listeners just to understand that. Like, you can – you can see the improvements as long as you're tracking it. Like Sean said, you can see the improvements. If you take the time, you dry fire, you get out on the range, maybe just getting out on the range a a few more times a month than you normally would. Um, and, and, and really try to, to replicate, um, and, and get consistent with it is the most important thing. Now, anything to add to that, Sean, before I move on, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. Two things I got there, right? So one is uh, I'll go one step further and say that, Everything but recoil management can be worked on dry fire. 100%. So like everything, footwork, all of that stuff. And when and really what you're looking for when you're getting into those little breakdowns is you're looking for inefficient movement. So like cutting out inefficiency and, you know, you equate it to running. When you start running, let's say I run a, you know, let's say I just started running. I never run and I run a 15-minute mile. Well, you're going to drastically cut down in time fast as you start running. A 15-minute mile is going to go to 14, go to 13. Then you're going to hit this little, like, kind of like a plateau. You're going to get around the 7, 6, whatever you're at. And then it's about, like, okay, man, I'm starting to get in really good shape. start to have a, good, a really good mile time. And now you're looking at cutting out, like, seconds. Like, how can I go from, like, a, like a 6.30 to a 6.20? Or how can I go from this to that? Like, you're, you're cutting out little fractions. So, like, when we're looking at the draw times, and a lot of times, once we get the basics and safety out of the way, as far as like, hey, how can I just get you to safely get the gun out of the holster? Then we get into, all right, how do I start chopping away at fractions of seconds by getting aware of inefficient movement, right? So, like, I'll film students and be like, hey, when I film myself, I like to show them, like, hey, this is what I do for me. It's like when I film myself doing a drill, uh, I'll watch the drill all the way through, and then I'll just, I'll just watch my feet. And then I'll rewind it, then I'll just watch my hips. And I'll rewind it, then I'll watch my hands. And then I'll go all the way up to try and find little inefficient movements and doing like, is it, was this wrong? Could I fix this? Could I cut that out? Uh, And then the other part I'll get at is uh, you brought up like, Hey, do we have time? And yes. Right. And like I said, for me too, like, Hey, a lot of it is, you know, I I get a little lazy with it. I, I should be dry firing more, but it goes down to diligence. Like, what is it? How important is it to you to be good at this skill? Right. And for a lot of cops uh, using the law enforcement realm, there's not a high proficiency. So even though their life is busy, even though they get into things, listen, I think you get into a certain level of proficiency where you shouldn't get complacent or lazy. But if I take a couple days off, um, my proficiency standard is going to stay there a little longer based off of the amount of time and hours and all that that I've spent behind the fundamentals as themselves. But you have people that have such a low level of proficiency that there's just such a benefit for them to, to at all, not at all costs, to find a way to force themselves to, even if it's five minutes a day, get a couple reps because their proficiency level is so low and they need to just ask. And I tell cops, all them, listen, we all have families. Uh, some of you guys got kids, more than one kid. You got a lot going on, but you need to make it home to those kids, right? You need to, Set yourself up for success, even if you, hey, I'm going to cut 10 minutes out of my workout today, and, and I've already dedicated an hour for my workout. I'm going to cut out 10 or 15 minutes of it, end it a little short, and dry fire. Or with my warm-up, I'll do a little warm-up, and then I'll dry fire. I'll find a way to get it in because it it is important, right? And I, before we go on, there was something I wanted to bring up, what you said before, right? So two things with the training side, which I think you and I have a very similar uh, part of our career. So when I got on our team, we 
our department created a a training unit where SWAT guys were going to be primarily involved for tactics and training agency. And I got on very early. I got on on two years. So now you have two year uh, me teaching, you know, 25, 30, you know, people that have been around longer than I have been alive at that point, right? So they've been around for a long time. Now, the biggest thing I saw, because I'd have people tell me like, hey, guys aren't going to be receptive to a brand new cop teaching them. And that wasn't my experience. My experience was actually uh, people being happy because you set up and put together training that was purposeful, right? It showed them that what you're showing them worked. It showed them deficiencies, uh, but you also, you weren't, you know, being rude about it. You weren't being condescending. You, like you said, you had that humble attitude of like, Hey, how I'm going to talk to these people. But it's not only that, like how I talk to the one year cop is how I'm going to talk to the 25 year cop, but really how you present yourself and carry yourself and structure your training is going to make the world a difference. And I, and I think even as a newer cop going into that, like if you put good training together and if you care, right. Cause these guys will obviously know and sense that you're BSing, um, people will be very receptive to it. And then the other point I'll go back to, and I tell this to all the new cops coming up, uh, the complacency in our job is this, and this, this is generally how it works out. If I told you, if you were a brand new rookie in field training and I said, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going to punch you in the face every day you show up to work. And lo and behold, every day you show up to work, I punched you right in the face. Well, eventually you're going to do one of two things. Uh, a, you're going to quit or B, you're going to learn how to stop getting punched in the face. Right? You're going to learn how to block it. You're going to be more uh, aware of your surroundings. Um, but if I told you the same person, hey, uh, I may punch you in the face once in your career at some point in time. And a week goes by, months go by, years go by, and nothing happens. Well, in your head, you're like, oh, man, like I'm not doing anything wrong. Everything I'm doing is okay because I'm not getting checked. Right. I don't have that uh, wake up call. And unfortunately, a lot of cops start their training journey, we'll call it, after they thank God survived that wake up call. Uh, you know, be it a shooting that could have gone bad or a shooting that, that, in all honesty, that the suspect wasn't motivated. Right. Because we have, there is a big difference of uh, adversaries out there on the street that are motivated and willing to die for their cause. And ones that are just using uh, deadly force as a method of escape. Um, and I think that, you know, cops and, and people in our profession, honestly, they get that complacent. Uh, it hasn't happened to me, so everything I'm doing is well. Or uh, sometimes, honestly, worse is they somehow fumble their way through it and live. And they're like, oh, man, I'm the man, right? I got in, I got in this or I was involved in that. I came on the other side. And, and they did. They come out on the other side, but we can't equate we can't equate like our previous victories to future successes. Like you may have just fumbled your way through this. I, you know, I look at it in the fighting side of the house. You had a guy that might have a record of twenty eight and zero, and you're like, oh man, that guy's got a pretty good record. And then you fight him, and he sucks. You're like, what was that? And it's like, oh, he fought twenty eight bums. You know, he never fought anybody with any type of real skill or you know, structure and, you know, cops will get involved in things and they'll be like, I'm the man, right? Or the woman. And they just fought a bum, you know? They never had a real test that would show their deficiencies. They just kind of fumble their way through it and they get complacent. And and like I said, quite honestly, sometimes making it through those, being involved in an incident, you kind of just fumble your way through. I was talking to a buddy of mine today after church and, and I think a Confidence is key in our job. You need to be confident, but an over sense of confidence in a skill that's not there is is much more dangerous than no confidence at all. Because you'll put yourself in a bad situation because you think you're ready for something that you're not. Absolutely, dude. Don't mistake luck with good ca- good tactics, man. I mean, it's mm-hmm. I mean, and we see it a lot because you, you know you work your way through it. And I think the problem with with law enforcement, um, you know, at, I guess a, a loss of priority for some of that stuff is that. We have to do so many things. We're overworked. Um, we have to be good in so many different areas, investigations. You know, we have to be good tactically. We have to, you know, work on traffic stops. We have to um, understand how to talk to people, um, how, to, how to interview people for domestic violences. The list goes on and on. And we have to be good at so many different things that sometimes what I would consider and probably what you would consider to be the most important things are kind of pushed to the side. Because we don't fight people every day. We don't 
you know, draw a gun on somebody every single day. So it gets lost up until that point where what you're talking about, that that defining moment where hopefully you make it through and then you start taking it seriously because of that moment. Um, and, th- and that's dangerous, a dangerous mindset. And I think it's uh, incumbent upon uh, on guys like yourself to you know, get in there as young as you are or whatever, you know, at the time of you of you getting on the SWAT team and starting to teach some stuff, as long as you have a good head on your shoulders and you're approaching it the right way, people are going to respect you for that. And it takes somebody like that to step up to the plate and put forth the effort. I was talking to somebody recently where we're taking over their uh, DT program. We're going to we're coming to help them, uh, you know, jumpstart stuff. And my, and my recommendation was, hey, should we, you know, come in there? kind of give you the keys to where you can ultimately take it over. And what I was met with was, well, I'd love that for, for that to be the case. But Josh, you know, as well as I do that it takes guys to really step up or, you know, several people to step up in order for a DT program or a firearms program to be successful. And he's like, I'd rather just hire you and and get good quality training to my officers that can be life-saving. And I was like, fair enough. I mean, if you don't have those people in place to take you know, take the wheel and, and really drive that program, then, you know, it isn't really going to go anywhere and people aren't going to get, you know, the desired effect like you would if, you know, you take over and, and you put time on the range and you're, and you're taking, taking that opportunity to grow the program, it can be lost. Um, and that's 100% true. And I, and I love, I love the point you were making. I mean, listen, don't don't wait for that wake up call. Let's get out there. Let's train. Let's show why this is effective. What you know how we can improve. Even just putting out free content online it, at the bare minimum. Watch this stuff and, and try to absorb it as much as possible. Now, Sean, I want to get into one of the most highly debated topics in the tactical industry, and that is CQB. Um, <laughs> everybody wants to wants to argue this over over uh, you know online and everything, but I want to get into it a little bit with you. I just want to talk about you know, some of the stuff that you offer with your classes and your mindset as it pertains to CQB when you're going into a class, uh, let's say, for instance, for for the law enforcement community, when you're putting on an LEO class. Okay, so the first thing with CQB is there there's not always one answer, right? So there's different methods. Obviously, I mean, you know this as well as I do, most of our CQB, especially when it comes to the SWAT side of the house, it, it trickles down from the military side. And I'll say I did a video about this the other day, but trickles down from the military side, integrates into the law enforcement side. Now, the biggest thing where we have this, you know, mixing of everything is, okay, well, what's applicable? And I, it's funny, before I did that video I put out, I talked to, you know, one of my buddies on the team who is a very accomplished, very experienced military guy who's still in, right? Because that's the thing is, I was never in the military. So I run stuff by guys like that. I'm like, hey, man, let me run this by you. What's your thoughts? And he agreed with me. There are absolutely things in the military that do not fly in law enforcement. So we need to understand um, where we can take things that mix and go together, what things don't necessarily work out for us, uh, and and kind of have the best of both worlds within that. Now, again, you know, one thing that I've seen is depending on the schoolhouse the guy came from, the unit that person was on, the branch that person was in, you're going to have differences of opinions on how to attack certain problems. And when I teach my class, I tell people like, listen, this is where the lineage is kind of derived of where I've learned my things from. And this is what I believe are safe practices, taking little bits and pieces, either from what I do at work and what has been taught to me at work versus some trainings we've been fortunate enough to, uh, you know, attend or, or be part of where I'm like, all right, I like this piece specifically for patrol. Now, first thing I tell people is I don't teach, uh, I hate to say SWAT based tactics, but everything that I teach in my CQB for patrol class is not exactly like how you would see our team work through the house because patrol has a very unique set of circumstances. You have two to three people moving through a structure. You don't have eight people. You have calls for service holding and it's great and all. And you can say, Hey, I got eight dudes. I got 12 dudes behind. Like it's me and my partner, my zone partner, right? Or me, my zone partner, and one more person because the house is a little bit bigger. And you got to clear the structure because there's calls holding and we can't sit on this, you know, alarm with an open door call for the next two and a half hours. Like we got to make it work or we have to decide there's something enough there 
to call in other assets, be it canine aviation, so forth and so on. So when it comes to CQB, I tell guys like, listen, I'm going to show you a way that you're paying to see in my class, right? I didn't make this up. I didn't come and develop any of these techniques. It's stuff that I've learned, but it's stuff that I've used and it's stuff that I've seen work out successfully. Um, if you like this way, use it. If not, be really good at what your department uses so long as it's safe, right? Because there's other different schools of thought of be a threshold assessment or how we're going to take the room or how we're going to do this that I might not agree with, but hey, CQB is very much a language and everybody has to be on the same page and speak the same language to really communicate with one another. So you got one guy that speaks this language and all the other five speak that language, you're going to have a really hard time communicating and working with one another. So whatever your SOPs are for your department, like be good at those SOPs. And one thing that I got from a buddy of mine, uh, Matt, that works at one of the federal agencies is he told me one time, you know, cause I'm, I, I like finding new ways to attack problems, different ways to attack problems. You know, I might hear something from a, you know, a Navy buddy of mine or this buddy of mine. And I'm like, Oh, it's cool. And he told me one day, he's like, Hey man, be very careful about changing things so fast. He's like, early on, I was kind of that way. I'd see a new way to do it. I'm like, we should start doing this. And he said, a senior guy of his told him, uh, you know, be careful about changing things so fast because it takes a lot to get an entire team to stop doing one thing and now start doing another, right? And then especially to be able to do that under stress on real operations, it takes a lot to be able to change that. So you need to ask yourself, are the SOPs and what we're doing, like, is this new way drastically better at preserving life and if it is yeah we should absolutely look at that but if it's just a difference in opinion and they both do pretty well at preserving life then is the juice worth the squeeze and completely changing this way right so you, you need the concept of like cqb in itself is is angle management right I'm, I'm managing threat angles mitigating threat angles based off of my proximity to it based off of the circumstances this active killer where I'm bypassing a lot to go to a known stimulus, or is this clearing a structure on an alarm call where, where I have time to really, really manage every little bit of this angle that I can before I start committing into uncleared space. Um, and once we have determined, okay, this is how we manage angles, this is how we do things, uh, now let's tackle it in a systematic manner. And a lot of times cops will tackle problems so much faster than they need to. So like, if this is my technique and this is the speed I'm moving, they're like this. And their technique is never catching up to the speed they're moving. So they're processing things late and they're right in front of it before they realize that I'm standing in front of this wide open threat or with my back to it or my side to it. I've overcommitted to a problem I should have overcommitted to because they're going faster than they need to. So when I do like my CQB for patrol classes, right? I show them first, this is how I like to do thresholds based off how I learned it. Um, and I feel that it mitigates crossfire, mitigates uh, putting us in a bad spot, and it helps us still work this problem. And then once we've taken all our time that we can to assess every bit of the room from the outside, then just take the next problem, right? Then commit into the room. Okay, pause. What's our next threat? Oh, our next threat's this. Okay, well, how do we safely negotiate this room or this open space to get to that next problem to deal with? And just take one little problem at a time and trying to get them to a understand don't commit too many guns to the problem right because that's also an issue uh try to build them into actually being free thinkers like how do i think about solving a problem and okay two guys are on are covering these threats i'm the third guy let me make a decision hey can i uh hey we're gonna hold the right side and clear the left and it doesn't have to be this fancy terminology and usually i'll demonstrate it by taking a student in the class demonstrating us clearing a problem and then I give them a verbal command of to how to execute that problem and then I'll stop and be like what did I just ask you to do and they'll tell me and be like see was this so hard do we need fancy language or did we need to over explain I told you to hold the right side clear the left side or even more plain English we're going to work the we're going to work this room from the left side right we're going to start working each problem as it comes from the left side and getting them to understand how do we manage threat angles how do we communicate together and how do we solve problems right uh, the CQB, like the movement stuff, those are just the dance steps. And we can learn different types of dance steps. But if I have an understanding of the concept, managing angles, uh, slowing things down at the pace they need to go, um, and being able to solve problems, then we, we have something we can really work on. And then the other key is 
how do I set these guys up in a training environment that helps them either a expose deficiencies, which I've had good success with cops coming back to me and saying, Hey, uh, because they shot this no shoot threat or this no shoot, uh, scenario in training, they realized they didn't process quite as fast as they thought they did. And then I've had success stories of guys coming back and saying, Hey man, because I had that experience, I was involved in a situation at work and I took an extra second to process and it wasn't what I thought it was and it worked out well. Right. So not just telling the cops you need to slow down, but putting them in positions that show them deficiencies they may have and then not making them feel like garbage afterwards. Be like, see, this is why this happened, explaining why, be it on the cognitive level or the mechanical level, why it failed and understand how do we get to a position uh, to where we can have more success later on down the road. And so sometimes that just honestly, it's just slowing things down for them. Hey, you overcommitted. Hey, you position yourself wrong. And then sometimes it's something completely different. Hey, this didn't turn out well because of your firearm skills. I, I set up every now and again, I set up uh, at the at the end of my class, a little force on force drill, not a scenario. And patrol guys will have to deal with like a hostage rescue shoot, right? The traditional like bad guys behind the good guy doing one of these. And, and I do it to them because I want to show them a, a challenging, the most challenging shot they'd have to take, in my opinion, like a hostage rescue shot. And we often equate it with SWAT when it's not, right? It, yes, SWAT will oftentimes be called for that, but patrol can absolutely deal with it on the spot because of exigency. And it was interesting. It was actually the first time this happened. At a cop engage, engage the threat but missed and hit the victim. And immediately we diagnosed why that happened from the shooting fundamental side. I said, all right, turn around. We're going to do it again. He did it again. Listen to the correction of the fundamental error and landed a, a good freaking center punch shot on the bad guy. And I was like, you see, all, all the only failure point wasn't a misidentification, it was a fundamental error in the shooting process that we corrected, but it shows that individual, hey, uh, this is probably something I need to work on. Or if they're presented with that, hopefully they were going forward, they remember, man, I remember what that felt like, and our, I knew I had immediate feedback, right? This is why that failed, and this is how I fixed it, and I ran the drill again and fixed it immediately and had a good successful run at that. Um, but the, the understanding of we all have to be on the same page, it has to be a concept everybody understands because it's not necessarily one particular technique, although there are techniques to say assess thresholds and attack problems. It's more so a concept that everybody has to be on the same page at and then get individuals in training environments to, to see deficiencies, be it speed mitigation uh, technical breakdowns, like shooting, stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, one of the things that I learned from the force science that was interesting, it was something simple. It's like, if you want to be better at making decisions, put yourself in a position to make decisions more often, right? If I want to be better at doing pushups, do more pushups, right? You want guys to be better at solving problems, give them the freedom, uh, authority, and ability to solve problems and put that in a training environment so they can do that. Okay. Knock it off. You're making way too much sense. This is driving me insane. So... <laughs> First off, absolutely incredible approach to CQB, a amazing understanding and explanation of it. Um, I, I started writing things down because I was like unpacking it and I'm like, yep, that, yep, 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 I agree. And then you just kept going and it, you just kept saying things that made sense. So I had to start writing this down. So same page. Let's get everybody on the same page. That's the best way to clear a building, right? It's, it's not, it's a dance. Like you said, it, it is something we all have to be on the same page. As long as we're doing the same thing, that's going to increase our survivability. Now there may be some ways that you and I prefer, um, based on, uh, reps that we've gotten on the SWAT team or whatever, but we want to cater that to the, to the students. So if we're teaching a patrol class, like you're talking about, we got to be realistic about it. How many guys do we have? Do we don't have gas? We don't have certain, you know, tools and equipment that SWAT is privy to. We don't have an armored vehicle potentially, um, unless we need it, but there might be some exigency that brings us into this building and we got to deal with it. Or it might be something very minor, like an alarm and calls are pending and we got to clear this building. And then, you know, it's kind of a routine thing, but then we're met with, you know, opposition. And now we got to deal with that. There's so many things that can come up in what you're talking about as far as building clearing for patrol. Um, but you know, ultimately getting guys on the same page, I 100% agree. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, this is something that we've gone back and forth on at our department. And I think as long as everybody's doing the same dance, that's ultimately what's most important. Um, I want to talk about 
uh, <clears throat> a few different things that you uh, had mentioned there. Thinkers, so like high brain thinking and actually giving them tools for problem solving is incredible because you can say until you're blue in the face, um, I want you to do, you know, take a certain approach on a threshold, for instance. So you're working your way through a hallway and it's a pretty basic door and then this is how you would do it. Well, now I'm met with stairs. Now I'm met with five different angles that I got to deal with. Here's rooms breaking off in all kinds of different directions. Um, now I'm in, uh, you know, a, a big warehouse where everything's wide open. Now I'm in a tight office space. Now I'm in a, you know, Cape Cod style home and the list goes on. So we have to understand the, uh, understand the concepts at a high level. We got to understand the dance and then you have to be able to problem solve. Um, 100% agree. I love that. I love that approach. And I love that you're ending on a win, right? Somebody screws up. You're you, obviously you have that coach's mindset, not that instructor's mindset, which I love because you're ending folks on a win. Hey, pick your head up. Let's do it again. And, and you're, and that moment is going to stick with them. That training moment is going to stick with them. And now instead of walking away with their head down and you yelling at them, they're walking away on a win and now they feel more confident and they understand the mistake they made. You don't need to bury it in them. They know they're not supposed to shoot the hostage. So there's no sense in, in, in berating them about it. Simply end it on a win. Let's do it again. I absolutely love that. Um, and then, like you said, just let's make this as simple as possible. I want to understand or I want to mitigate angles. I want to make sure that I'm not exposing myself as much as possible. And if I am, that's where another gun comes up and covers that angle. Absolutely love that approach, dude. Um, I love your approach on everything, really. I'm not really surprised, but it was awesome to sit down and have this conversation. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we sign off? Um, no, man, I don't really think of plug your stuff at the very least. <laughs> uh, man, it, it really was, you know, I appreciate you having me out here. I appreciate you having time. I'll be honest with you. You could spend another, you know, another two hours sitting here talking and we'd still have more to talk about. Oh, we could go all day. It, it was, uh, it's definitely, you know, it was, it was a blessing being out here, man. I appreciate you, you know, for everybody else that's, that's listening, you know, train guys don't, you never reach that point in your career or that pinnacle in your career. Even, even me to now, like I do training with my, my guys at work. Uh, I try to do training on a daily basis when we're working and sometimes we don't get around to, but you know, I was doing reps the other day and I, I'd find something small and I'd be like, man, I don't like that. Let's do it again. And I would find every time I'd find something small and you're, you're like, you're constantly like, you're never getting the blade sharp enough. You're always like, no, I want to work on this. I want to work on that. I'm never, I'll be honest with you. I usually don't leave training feeling satisfied. I'm always like, man, I, I want one more rep. I want to work on this. I want to work on that. Um, so, you know, don't, don't get complacent with your training. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. Um, you know, you're, you're one call away from, from losing. And if you're not constantly like on top of your game, on top of your grind with that skill set. That's at least my mindset. Uh, maybe it's an unhealthy one to have because I'm, I'm constantly trying to, you know, push that threshold and, and train. But don't feel that you've made this like, oh, I'm here or I'm here or I've been involved in a shooting or I've been involved in that. So I've reached that pinnacle of whatever you felt that your skill set has brought you to. Um, there's always another there's always a better dude than you out there. And, you know, if you're uh, yeah, that might be your next call, you might never face that person. That might be your next call. You may already be behind the eight ball, um, but you know you don't have to pick a point in time to start training. Like, go out and get some reps today. You know, go out and do something today. I always tell people, and I tell my students, and anybody listening here. It, so my my Instagram is, is obviously it's ready able defense. You have to type the whole thing out because they've shadow banned me. Um, and DM me with questions, right? And DM me. I tell my students, hey man, send me videos. You try fire and send me like you don't gotta be at a class and be paying me to get information. Like I'm happy to help, happy to push out information. Um, whatever you guys got, you know, ask away. Can I appreciate the time here? Um, uh, everyone out, you know, let's listen out there. Be safe. God bless y'all. And you know, I'm looking forward to the next time we talk. Amen. Amen. I, pro I if you're up for it, I'm definitely going to have you back on. Cause that was a lot of fun. Now, as far as uh website goes, ready and defense.com. Am I getting that right? Yes. Ready and defense.com is the website. Instagram is also ready and defense. Uh, all the class information, uh, that I schedule along the way is upcoming, uh, like all the upcoming classes are there. If people, 
that are local or, or even out of state or interested in privates, that's you just got to DM me. The number on there goes directly to me. I manage the social media. So anytime you're talking to somebody in relation to the company, be it messaging, emailing, or texting or DMing, it, it all goes directly to me. So there's no like middle person for it. If you're talking to somebody for the company, you're, you're talking to me. Awesome. So it, that's it. And the website's super clean, guys. Um, and, and make sure you follow him on Instagram. Like I said, he's got he's got the cool videos on there, but he's also got the deep dives. And at the end of the day, that's what's important if you're trying to learn and grow. Sean, thank you, brother. I sincerely mean it. This was kind of impromptu, very last minute, but phenomenal conversation. Had a blast. I think you and I see eye to eye on a lot of this stuff. And it's great to see that there are instructors out there like you really dedicated to growing students. It's not a money grab. You are passionate about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be working 40, 50 hours a week and then also running a business, right? You're passionate about it. You're trying to get that information out there, but you're doing it in a way that, um, man, I love it. I absolutely love your approach. Thank you so much, guys, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. You guys have been incredible. Cannot thank you enough for the support and to show our appreciation Remember, you leave us a review in the first 10 episodes and it will automatically enter you into a chance to win a free plate carrier from Shellback Tactical. The Cell 2.0 is a very high quality plate carrier and it's something that's going to set you up for success as you build out your kit. Now remember, show us proof of that review either by writing out a written review or sending us a DM of the star rating you give us. And again, it'll automatically enter you in a chance to win. You guys have been incredible. Thank you so much for listening to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. And we'll see you on the next episode.